0: If you're looking for a show about everyday black dreamers and doers, you've come to the right place. Join me on a quest to find ordinary people doing extraordinary things, reinterpreting the rules of the game in order to achieve life on their own terms. I'm your host, Moses Tillman Young, and welcome to the Black Gold Podcast. In this episode, I interview Larry Brinker, Jr., an award-winning entrepreneur, impact investor and mentor. He serves as the chief executive officer of Brinker, a group of family-owned and operated commercial construction services companies responsible for over $4 billion in construction projects, which plays a critical role in the transformation and revitalization of Detroit. In our conversation, Larry and I discussed how his father began the company, the way Larry was groomed to succeed his father, the importance of strategizing the succession well before it is needed, and the top five things to do when handing off the empire from generation one to generation two as well as the five things not to do. So sit down, relax, and grab your notebook, because this show is full of little gems that you can use to turn your business into a legacy. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Black Gold Podcast. Today with me, I have Larry Brinker, Jr. He is the, the CEO of a major construction cooperative within Michigan. And he is second generation to the Brinker company, and he is doing marvelous things within the city, Detroit, and building new buildings for the future. So Larry, thank you for taking the time to come with me today to talk on the podcast.
1: Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Absolutely. One of the things that I really, really enjoyed about your story was that you were a second generation in terms of you taking over for your father's company, the Brinker Group, and also being able to take it and move it even further. So can you explain to listeners what the Brinker Group does?
1: Sure, yeah, so the Brinker Group was founded in 1989 by my father. It's a group of five construction companies, commercial construction companies. We specialize in construction management, general contracting, um, metal stud and drywall, glass and glazing, carpet and flooring, and electrical. So uh, we do everything from stadiums and arenas to hospitals, higher education, K through 12, corporate headquarters, et cetera.
0: And you've been doing it. Your father's been doing it since 1989. When did you assume on it CEO of the of the company?
1: Yeah. So my father founded the company in 1989, but his career started in 1979 <clears throat> as a carpenter, actually. And uh, as he was working for his employer, he had aspirations to have his own company one day, and decided in, in 1989 to leave the company after 10 years and start his own. Myself, I have been in the role of leadership since around 2012. Time flies by actually. But I've been with the company since around 2003.
0: And whenever you say you've been with the company, is that in a leadership position as CEO? Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely not. So I started entry level. My father made sure that not only did I earn my stripes, but I earned the respect of the employees, the customers, and the market. So when I first started, I started literally the most entry-level position on the professional side of our business that you could start as. And and that was a project manager or project engineer, I'm sorry. And I went on to work in roles from project engineer to superintendent, project manager. I uh, did some estimating, business development. So I did not start off in leadership whatsoever.
0: <laughs> how long would you say it took for you to? I mean, of course, <clears throat> any time. I'm I'm assuming that your father could have called you up to be in the in the top room. But uh, how long did it take until your father decided that you were ready for the for the position of of leading the Brinker Group?
1: Yeah, it actually took about—I would say it took about six years or so. It's about six years before he felt that I was even ready to begin learning about leadership roles. Not where six years—I—I I went from being a, a project manager to CEO. That was just the start of my learning curve from the leadership perspective. And I give him so much credit because. Uh, when he recognized that it was time for me to learn more on how to become a leader within our company, he actually brought in a an outside interim president to come in for four years and train me. And that was the best thing that could have ever happened because I was able to work under someone else in their tutelage. Uh, during the course of my training, which allowed myself and my father to maintain our father-son relationship, but then also even our work relationship. Oftentimes, the the transition from G one to G two is is extremely difficult, and it's because of frustrations that either happen from the first generation or the frustrations that are encountered from the second generation. So. By me having the interim president in place, that really allowed me to to flourish and thrive and not have, what I would say, the typical pressures that those transitions would typically bring.
0: Did you remember any, any things that you learned specifically that you didn't know before, that you wouldn't have known before, taking on the role of as Underneath the interim president, learning from them, was there something that you learned about how to lead that you could say you wouldn't have necessarily learned if you would have jumped into the role immediately?
1: Oh, I would say 99% of what I do today, I wouldn't have known, right? And a lot of it comes through just the experiences. So during the course of that time, it was around the time of the downturn the downturn of 2008-2009. And when you think about the economy, it was at at a very, very low point. So, so from our projects in construction, a lot of those jobs dried up. So we had to figure out how to keep people employed, how to keep the business going. And that was probably more valuable than any MBA I could have ever gone through was literally being present during those years from 2008 2009 2010 even 11 of just how to weather those storms so i look at that i look at just even the training that i received in terms of how to mitigate risk and understand contracts oftentimes our contracts are over 300 pages long and you definitely have to go article by article, page by page, to make sure that you are understanding the risk that you're signing up for. I would also say, in terms of just lessons learned through that training was how to deal with people. I would say the hardest part of my job on a daily basis is understanding personalities, knowing how to deal with those personalities, and knowing how to motivate the different um that are within our company or even our, our client base to make sure that at the end of the day, everyone does their part to make the project successful and ultimately our company successful.
0: In terms of you being a a leader, and especially you said second generation leader, what are some of the things that you personally have looked for in terms of uh, having a, a team around you that will be able to to do the things that are necessary that you, that you believe that you want them to do. What are some of the attributes that you look for in finding teams in terms of taking something from generation one to generation two?
1: Yeah, so great, great question, Moses. What I can say to that question is, uh, first and foremost, you have to be a consistent leader, but you also have to give your, your team the opportunity to have some autonomy and for them to feel like they're invested in the decisions as well. And I say that because historically, the business prior to me becoming CEO, it was in a way where everyone looked at my father for answers, right? And there was no accountability when you think of it that way, because it was, hey, Mr. Brinker, what do you want to do? And if he made the wrong decision, they they would say, well, sorry, that's not on me, it's on you, right? And so the first thing that I did and I recognized was I needed to build a team where it was inclusive, where I provided a very clear vision and strategic plan, but I gave them the wherewithal and the autonomy to make decisions on behalf of the company as long as it was within those confines of our vision and plan so that they were vested. So they were accountable, which then allowed them to hold their employees accountable because they were making those decisions that they needed to make sure their employees underneath them made the right decisions and performed their tasks correctly because they had a vested interest in it. And so as I look to how do you build a team, it's always where you have to have people who share the same values. You have to have people who aren't necessarily like-minded, but are team players who are collaborators, right? Who can collaborate in a way where we don't always walk out of a room having a kumbaya saying, all right, well, here's a, a vote. We all voted the same way. Oftentimes there's debate, sometimes it gets to be contentious, but overall, we all are team players and we're flexible, and we push each other to make sure we get the best out of each other, which ultimately helps the company.
0: You look for people that are, as you said, team players, and also people who are willing to take on a sense of responsibility for the ideas that they come up with if they if the idea succeeds that's wonderful if it doesn't succeed it's on it's on them instead of them handing off the blame to you because you put them in charge of the idea
1: absolutely and then even another one of our company's core values is having each other's back and and when you think about a team it doesn't matter if it's a a business executive leadership team if it's a sports team everyone has their their roles on that team, but they also wanna have the back of their teammates, right? So if your teammate falls down, you pick them up. That's the strength of the team. And that's one, like when you think about our own core values, that's something that's that's important because we understand um, not every day is gonna be a rosy day at work. Some days are tougher than others. Some projects are tougher than others. And honestly, sometimes some clients are tougher than others, right? But if your team is there to pick you up when you may not have the best day, that allows us to be consistent. That allows our company to still look at our North Star and make the right decisions without emotion, because there's a level of consistency there.
0: Gotcha. You want to make sure that you're all all on the same page in terms of your end goal and you want to make sure that everyone is also pulling their weight and that everyone is ensuring that everyone else is is doing what they're supposed to do and keeping up with them and then you all reach the finish line at the same time. Absolutely. So in terms of uh, you being a second generation person, or have there been some things that you have seen within the the business for the first generation that you realized needed to either be cut back or, or mitigated in order for the business to go forward?
1: Yeah. Part of it was what we just talked through in regards to giving the appropriate level of accountability, right? But also say the most challenging part of my transition was really me bringing in new staff that was what I would say, I guess if you wanna say my own people and then dealing with some of the legacy staff who were my father's folks, right? And so oftentimes what happened was People are creatures of habit. So, the people who were, or the employees that were like, who had been there for a long time, oftentimes if I made a call or a decision, they felt that they had to go back to my father to make sure that it was validated. Whereas my own folks that I brought in, they looked at the call or decision that I made, it's like, okay, that's my charge. That's what I'm going to go do. And so, a lot of it was really just over the years of people getting comfortable in what they had always done, when I came in to begin pushing for us to grow and to think about new ideas, be creative, think outside the box, it was a case that I ran into a few brick walls where we had to make tough decisions to not necessarily let people go, which is not what we did, but we really stress the level of accountability and the level of what I would say intensity and scrutiny to make sure that if they weren't the right teammates or team players for where we were headed and the vision that we had, a lot of times they felt that pressure and decided to leave because they knew that it was a different level of accountability and, and expectation.
0: Yeah, because one of the things that, that's really important in terms of even historically, like in terms of your situation, it reminds me a bit of um Alexander the Great and, and his father, Philip, in terms of his father, like laying the groundwork for him to, for his son to go ahead and, and conquer the known world at the time. And it was eventually like his his core team that if he was relying upon them that they could they could literally like conquer the world and so if you have like a team that you know is really really strong and really really committed to who you are and what you stand for there's nothing that you guys won't, won't be able to do because you have that 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 bond between each other and that trust and that respect and honor
1: absolutely and even to that point Moses with us having five companies, historically, we had always operated in a way where each company was only worried about that specific company. So they only worried about their PL, their profit and loss, their uh, backlog of, of uh, business, et cetera. Whereas one of the things that I did when I came in into the role of leadership was to combine our five companies into truly one team, right? And Through doing that, I recognized that we were stronger together, and we created this model called One Brinker, where if we were together, we were stronger, we were more nimble, we were more experienced than we were as five fragmented companies. So to your point, absolutely, like when you can bring people together as one team, you're definitely stronger.
0: And so how were you able to, after your father handed off the mantle to you, how were you able to, uh, your next project, the the project, the first project that you were CEO for, how were you able to obtain that project? And what were some of the things that were like real learning lessons from that project that you have taken with you to this day?
1: Yeah. Well, Just through the course of how I was trained, uh, I was ready for day one where I had a four, like a three to four year training schedule, basically. And the first year I was really like a fly on the wall. I was a sponge. I just wanted to learn as much as I could, understand terminology, understand the dynamics of personalities and, and, and just truly how people operated. By year two, I was getting my feet underneath me where I could understand better and I was grasping things. I was learning how to read contracts, how to decipher risk. And then by year three, it was more where I was helping to make decisions for the company. I was given the opportunity to make decisions and the interim president would tell me if I was right or wrong or what I would need to think about differently. And by year four, I was truly making decisions for the company where at times where the interim president at the time was was saying, hey, I want you to make this call. If it's not right, I'm not necessarily going to tell you, but I'm not going to let you get in trouble, but you'll see if it's the right decision or not, right? And so by the time I officially moved into the role of leadership, um, I had this level of confidence because I had already done it. Right. So therefore, when you think about my first project that I got as CEO and president, it felt no different than it felt when I was in training because I was in those presentations selling to clients. I was leading those teams oftentimes. So it didn't necessarily feel different after I assumed that role. But I give that credit to my father for him really constructing a model for me that allowed me to to be confident and uh, uh, and be what I would say even more valuable to the company based on how I transitioned into that role of leadership.
0: One of the things that that really impacted everybody, of course, was the, was the pandemic in terms of just. The world shutting down and and things just being put on pause. In terms of of that, and you were one of the one of the first sixty five people within the state of Michigan who who contracted COVID. Correct. Yeah,
1: un- unfortunately, yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. So so how were you able to operate within that within the pandemic, and how were you able to take the business from where it was at that period of time to to even where it is now?
1: Yeah, so during that time, it was extremely scary. I would have never thought in a million years I would be one of the first 65 people in the state to contract COVID and spend two days in the hospital. I mean, I was at the time 40 years old. Didn't even, it, it wasn't a case where I ever thought about my own mortality, right? And through... Or just in the course of, I would say, hours, it went from me being just a typical forty-year-old to all of a sudden worry if I was going to ever see my family. And the the one thing that really benefited us during COVID was that we had created that one Brinker team, right? That one Brinker where we brought together the executives from every company and created an executive leadership team. For our group of companies in a way where we focused on certain things such as what was our strategic plan how did that flow down to the businesses how did it then go from the businesses to every employee and then make sure that we were aligned from the bottom up and from the top down and so when COVID hit and all of a sudden I was out of the business sick the business could move forward because it was set up in a way where, once again, we were stronger together because we had that plan in place, right? And then we also just, as a part of our own family value, we look at our employees as, as real family. And so when people ask me what is the hardest thing that I have to deal with or what keeps me up at night is truly the fact that I think about the families behind our employees that depend on me to make sure that that their spouses or loved ones have jobs to put food on the table, et cetera. And so when the pandemic hit, prior to us understanding what the government would do or anything else, we decided early on, which was like March, had to be around March, wow, March 16th, March 17th, that Essentially, we were going to keep everybody on staff. We were going to pay everyone, even though jobs shut down, projects shut down. We still said we were going to pay people out of our own pocket to make sure we didn't lay off anyone during that time. And so that helped with the morale of the company. But then also, as a part of our strategic planning, we went through an exercise once again where we never thought we would ever have to use it, but we went through an exercise of making sure that we had a business continuity plan, right? And oftentimes you think about it being the 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 oldest generation in the company that if something happens to them, who's going to take over? But in our case, we were kind of proactive where we thought about the fact of from every level of leadership, if something happened to anyone, who was that next person identified that could pick up the baton and keep the company going? with consistency. And when COVID hit, we literally activated that plan to put it in place to make sure that if something happened to anyone on our, our team, that the company was still in good shape. And it was interesting to really see people like myself who had never really thought about their own mortality, all of a sudden have to truly think about wow, if something happened to me, what's going to happen next, right? And so that truly is what allowed us to get through the pandemic and be in a spot where we could continue to grow our company as well.
0: Hmm. So for the people that you had next in line that you chosen, did you have like some sort of evaluation or some tests in order to make sure that they were Competent, competent enough to take over the company or that branch of the company if something would have happened with the with the person who was currently in charge? like How did you so, determine who yeah. was supposed to fulfill that role?
1: Great question. So not necessarily a test, but what we did is we had conversations with every executive vice president who runs the day-to-day operations for the specific companies, right? So each one of the five companies. And because they work so closely with their employees, they know who is best suited to pick up that that uh, slack if needed. And so what we did was we were very intentional to set them down and really make them evaluate their employees. And and it was more than just a subjective. Well, I think person A is ready just because I like them. But it was we went through a, a checklist and a list of criteria to make sure that they were being objective and not subjective. And then once we scored it out, we had conversation. We added a bit of subjectivity to it as well at that point. But then we made a decision on who was the best person. So it was very intentional, very thought out. It wasn't necessarily a test that we put in front of someone because we know what every employee's pros and and cons are. And what they're good at and what they're not. but when you put that level of effort to really think through it, you you like remove ninety percent of the subjectivity. And when we came back, we put probably ten to fifteen percent back, but it was really based on measurables that we knew that if something happened, they were prepared to keep the company running and going forward.
0: So you had the People who were in charge at the time evaluate their own employees objectively in order for them to determine who would be the best to fill their shoes if something were to happen to them.
1: Correct. And then that was brought to me where I uh, sometimes challenged that and made sure that they truly felt that that person was the right person. And actually, one time we actually changed it. So it was a very thorough process.
0: say the least. Thank you for listening to this episode so far. If you want to learn more about who Larry is and what he does, he and his team are so generously taking the time to fill out the form of the main questions that I ask him in this interview. So if you want to go ahead and check those out, you can go to www.blackgoldpod.com and go check them out in the blog. Okay, let's get back into it. So how would you say people should go about um, like handing off a company to the next generation? Are there, within your own personal experience, are there like five things you would, if you were leading a person, are there five things that you would say you must do these five things? And if so, what would those five things be?
1: Yeah, so... I think first and foremost, regardless if it's generation one to generation two or G2 to G3, most times it's more important G1 to G2 because by the time you get the the second or third generation, those procedures are in place typically. But I would say it's very important for the generation that's handing over the reins to the younger generation to feel comfortable having those conversations, right? It's very difficult for people to talk about their own mortality oftentimes, right? Or it could just be the fact of of identifying that you're getting older. And so to be comfortable having those conversations before you need to transition is always good, right? So even if you have a child in the business who's younger, who you know isn't ready, you can still have those conversations to prep them, right? Just small nuggets over time. I would also say it's very important to make sure that that you are preparing for a transition and you're not being reactive, but you're truly being proactive. Um, part, part of that proactiveness is really thinking through your your journey, the knowledge you've acquired and, and understanding and thinking through how can you download that information, right? When we think about how much we know internally, just from our experiences, it's super hard to write down everything you know that you want to transfer to someone else, right? But if over time you can kind of create a framework, that is one of the best things that you can do because oftentimes you are the skill set that you you have as a result of your experiences and the wisdom and the mentorship you've received. So that's important. I would also say it's really important to make sure you have the right team of advisors around you, where it's easy to say, hey, I am I have this business, I want to transfer it over. But there are so many different details that come into place or come into play when you think about transitioning a business. So you need to have the right team of advisors from the accounting and finance perspective, right team of advisors from the legal perspective. You need to have the right team of advisors as it relates to even things such as strategic planning, right? So like in our case, we actually brought in a third party consultant to help us build our strategic plan and our succession plan at the same time. And I I also think it's important for the employees to know that this plan is being put in place, right? Because oftentimes the more the employees know, the more helpful they'll be, the more understanding they'll be. But if they're left in the dark, they start to wonder, well, what's gonna happen if so-and-so is not here anymore? Will I still have a job? Etc. So the more you can communicate and have open and effective communication is great as well. That's number four. So five, maybe I would say for number five would be uh, number five would be, if I'm just talking right now, it would be to have fun with it, because it's truly a blessing to be in that position. To go from one generation to the next, it's not easy, and the fact that you you even have that opportunity is an opportunity. Ninety percent of people, ninety nine percent of people, will never have. So enjoy it, be grateful, and it's awesome to be in a position where you are spending time with your family, with your loved ones, and in business and making impact and helping put food on the table for employees. So just enjoy it. Like, it's a process that goes by faster than you think. And you look back and you're like, wow, I wish I would have done X, Y, and Z. It's no different than when you think about parenting, when you have a child. Those 18 years before they go off to school, uh, when you're going through it, it seems like sometimes 25 years. But when they leave off for school, you look back, you're like, man, like, I wish I would have done X, Y, and Z to be more present at times to, to enjoy certain things. And so it's no different when you're transitioning a business from one generation to the next.
0: So you want to make sure that you, you discuss either the, the departure of, of, the, of the senior member or, or possibly their death. You want to be make sure that you're proactive in choosing a successor. want to have a strong team behind yourself, especially regarding Monetary things, like you said, I just said, like accounting and legal and executive Text processes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Make sure to tell your employees and that, that they know that they're going to be secure after the transition. And also, you just want to have fun with the process and, and learn as you go. Exactly. Right. Okay. And so, contrary to that, what would be the five things you'd say someone should absolutely? Under no circumstances do.
1: Number one is nepotism. Is don't just hand something over to your child because they're your child, right? I always say that. that, excuse me, you have to have opportunity, but you have to be prepared for that opportunity. And when you get that opportunity, you have to work hard, right? So some people have the opportunity and uh, aren't necessarily ready for the opportunity or just aren't the right, or what, or, or just may not be the right person for the opportunity. So as a parent, I would say, just don't hand it over just because. I would say also don't, rush the process and oftentimes that goes back to whether or not you're being proactive or reactive right when you're reactive you're forced into a situation where you have to rush and oftentimes you're not going to have a smooth transition the company is going to will definitely feel (laughs) the results and outcomes of you rushing the process I would also say from, if I'm thinking from one generation passing to another, have trust in your mentorship, have, right, have, have trust in it in a way where don't be a person that is micromanaging and looking over that person's shoulder 24 hours a day, because if you're doing that, you're going to ruin the confidence of that next generation. Or you're going to lack trust yourself and not give them the opportunity to learn through experiences. I would also say things not to do would be not to just look at uh, your departure as the most important thing. I've unfortunately seen some transitions where the father. And founder basically would say, hey, at this point, I'm taking all of the money out the company, and it's up to them to figure it out. If I did it, they can do it. And that's not necessarily building legacy. That's not building on the hard work, blood, sweat, and tears that that generation put into it. But what it's doing is putting the next generation at a severe disadvantage, which oftentimes leads to the destruction of that company. Is that four or five? I don't know.
0: That's <laughs> uh, four. One more. Ooh, okay, one more.
1: I would say uh, one more thing of, of what not to do. I would say probably just don't necessarily show the employees that, like if, so, all right, I would say if, for instance, one generation to the next in the midst of a transition, sometimes they may not necessarily be on the same page, right, all the time. But if that's the case, don't show that to the employees because if the older generation is showing – that the younger generation isn't necessarily on the same page with them, that could cause some destruction in in terms of either morale or respect to the next generation as well.
0: Okay. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And and I guess that goes back to your making sure that you, you outsource your mentorship, like what your father did with you that makes a lot more more sense because as you said it was it allowed you and your father to have a father-son relationship with talking business on the side compared to every day having like you just learning the business and you making mistakes and some fumbles and then that having being a like a point of contention that your father has against you sort of thing
1: yes but i also recognize that everyone can't do that, right? So I was very fortunate to have that process, but every company can't necessarily carry out that same process. So to a point, other processes will look different. But I think when you think about those fundamentals that I just walked through, regardless if you have a third party person, In the middle of the generations or the generations are dealing with each other directly, you can still apply and utilize those those principles.
0: Are you intending to pass on the Brinker group to your children?
1: You you know, I'm going to use the answer that my father used with me when people would ask him. And he lived it too, which was awesome. He said that he would love for me to be in the business, but it would be my decision. And if I decided to do something else, he would love and support me. And he did that. So after college, after I graduated, I actually had a degree in civil and environmental engineering with a concentration in construction management. But I went off and decided, (laughs) wanted to be in music for two years and it probably ate him up inside but he supported me right and and then it was at it it was on my own terms that I decided that I was ready to come work for the company and oftentimes you see that in in transitions from the first generation to second or people that grow up in like family businesses oftentimes It's all they know. So they have this curiosity that they want to see something else and experience something else and then come back to the business. So I would say I would love to carry on that legacy, but it would be completely up to my kids and what their passions are because I'm a a firm believer that you have to be passionate in what you do. And uh, if you do that, the success and the money will come. But if you do something purely for the money, you're not going to be as passionate, which means you're not going to work as hard and you're not going to be as successful.
0: Yeah. And the thing about that, too, is that it lacks authenticity and that even shows in your work. And so if you're absolutely. not really authentic, speaking from the heart or like even doing something because you absolutely love to do the thing, you're obsessed about the thing, then it just doesn't translate into actual like fervor and it doesn't really. A lot of people to feel that and they're not then they're not going to be attracted to what you're doing because it's just like work to you compared to it being like a process that you can learn and an obsession basically. You're not obsessed about it, but you're just going through the motions essentially.
1: Mm -hmm. I agree.
0: Yeah. And so just in terms of you starting out as the as the president of the company or rather the, the the CEO. What were some instances where you encountered failure when and, and and you had the the idea? Have you ever had the idea that you messed something up, you, you botched something? Has that ever occurred to you? And if so, how were you able to, to overcome that?
1: Yeah, so no, that's that that's never like I've never had that thought. I think. More than anything, being raised in in an entrepreneurial family, failure is not doom, but failure failure sometimes are or is a lesson learned, right? I have confidence in myself. I know what I'm good at. I know where I need to bring in a good team to help me. I know that not every decision is going to be always the right decision, but it's always going to be a learning lesson right and so in those times where i may not have made the right decision yeah it sucks it doesn't feel good but you also in your mind as an entrepreneur you say okay i'm not going to do that again right but it doesn't prohibit you or stop you from getting back up and getting back into the race and i think that's really the difference in the dna of entrepreneurs is you fall more than than you win at times. But when you do win, you win big and you enjoy it. And so that that failure is something that, that I'm not afraid of, but I do try to mitigate my risk as best as possible. But if it happens, you get up and you try again.
0: They want to mitigate the risk as much as possible and make sure that whenever you do, "Quote unquote," fail you don't fail, but you just you're learning, and it's a process, and you need to understand it and embrace it, and never lose trust in yourself and trust that you're going to overcome that hurdle and get over it. Absolutely. Well, Larry, thank you so much for talking with me today. I have one more question for you. That is, if you had the, if you had the ability to send a worldwide text what would your message be?
1: Wow. So I'm going to preface that by saying I will have to steal that question. That's one of the best questions I've heard, right? Worldwide text, what would it be? I would say... I would say something to the effect of Wow, that's a good one. Let me think for a second here. I would say something to the effect of... Because I'm a big people person and a a person who has a lot of passion around bringing people together. I would say something to the effect of... the better we the better we understand each other the the more empathetic we can be towards each other which ultimately allows us to have more unity and togetherness with each other
0: why why would that be your message
1: because what i've learned and this has been through the course of my career course of my life as being an african american that oftentimes people are misunderstood or people come into situations with preconceived notions of a person or unconscious biases. But as much as we can understand one another, we'll understand that there are so many more commonalities than there are differences in each other, that at the end of the day, we're all the same. And if we can understand that, we can unite easier because those differences are outweighed by the commonalities, which which allows each person to see the next person similar to themselves. And if we can do that, the world would be definitely a better place. So as much as I can do every day, I try to make sure that I'm uniting as best as possible, leading by example.
0: Well, thank you, Lay for this incredible conversation. Where can the listeners go to learn more about Brinker Group and what you're doing?
1: Yeah, so thank you for the opportunity to be here today. And, Absolutely. Uh, it's been a great conversation. And listeners can visit our website at www.brinkergroup.com. Once again, brinkergroup.com, B-R-I-N-K-E-R-G-R-O-U-P.com. And they can also find me on LinkedIn as well. And uh, I also have a website that will be launching, I believe, in the next week or two, which uh, the website is com. Beautiful.
0: Again, thank you so much for this conversation, Larry. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you, Moses. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Black Gold Podcast, Stories of Black Dreamers and Doers. Please go ahead and subscribe and review the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to the podcast right now, so then it can reach more people. If you want to get in touch with me personally, go ahead and send me an email at blackgoldpod@gmail.com. at gmail.com. If you want to talk about the show or if you want to talk about how to create your own podcast, where you can find people and talk with them about the topic of your interest. If you want to go further into doing that, make sure to go to www.blackgoldpod.com and go ahead and scroll all the way down to the bottom and get yourself a copy of the Side Gig Podcast Guide. It's a guide that I put together for you to start a quality podcast on a low budget. So go ahead and do those things, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks for listening.